Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. doing so good to see you all love being together to worship Jesus together and that song Jesus is better could not be a better song for us to sing this week we are working through the weeks of Lent and this week we're talking about the idea the theme of satisfaction and Jesus the claim that Jesus made that he said I am the bread of life Jesus said I am the bread of life What does that mean and why does it matter? So we wanna talk about this morning, satisfaction. Jesus being the true satisfaction. So as I was studying this last week, I I did some looking into some numbers because I was thinking about satisfaction. I I don't see a lot of satisfaction around me and it's oftentimes in myself and so I wanted to get some statistics because you know, everyone loves statistics, right? Um, (laughs) Who did that? Thanks, Jeremy. Here's the crazy thing. Um, Americans have more income now than we've ever had. And you might be saying, Travis, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, when I go to Costco, I leave and my bank account is empty. And there's no eggs, right? (laughs) But really, though, statistically speaking, adjusting for inflation even, if you compare it with today's dollars, the median household income in 2022 is somewhere around 9% higher than the median house come 20 years before in 2002. There's been a median income uh, increase of about 9 to 10% in those 20 years. Households on average in America live on a decent chunk more than we did two decades ago. And again, you're like, some of you might be like, that is not my experience right now. And you're just not the median. But that is the statistic. But there's another poll to contrast that with that is very interesting. As we have 10%-ish more to live on these days. But according to a Gallup poll from 2022, in the same 20-year time, Average satisfaction with life has declined by 19%. That's a nosedive. 19% more people today say they are completely or somewhat dissatisfied with their lives. So we have more, putting it in non-scientific terms, we have more than we've ever had and we're more miserable than we've ever been. Hmm. Now, I don't think this is a surprise to most of us in the room. Is anyone surprised by that? that, Is anyone surprised? Maybe by the income thing, but by the fact that the lack of satisfaction we see, I mean, there's a lot that's happened in the last 20 years, right? But still, is anyone surprised that satisfaction seems to be in a nosedive? I think the signs of those statistics are all around us, but my point isn't to say how bad things are or to bum you out. Like, I think we do too much sitting around saying, oh, the world is a, it's just going to, you know, okay, yeah, but we're, we're not supposed to be bummed out people as Christians. It's okay to be bummed out a little bit, but we, we have so much to celebrate about, right? So the point of those statistics is not to bum you out. No, my hope 
is that through God's word, that the Holy Spirit will lead us to a new joy, a new kind and experience of his joy that he has to offer for us. This week when I was looking up those statistics, it was a little bit confusing because a lot of different sites say different stuff. Plus I was looking it up on the internet. We all know how, how good the internet is for giving us accurate information. So it was a bit confusing and I wanted to vet my data. So I called my good friend, John Betancourt, who's a CPA. Everyone needs to know a good CPA, you know, a public accountant that's good with numbers, someone who's not gonna mess it up. So I called John and I asked him to vet my calculations and he did and, and, and he said, yeah, that that's actually seems to be on track that we've got 10%-ish more money coming in than we did 20 years ago. But I got more than I bargained for. I, I called him to ask him to vet my numbers, but he gave me some profound insight as well. And I wanna share that with you. He highlighted to me a very subtle and destructive change that has been happening in our culture slowly but surely over time, and it's this. There was a time where it was very typical for people in our culture to see a difference between what they need and what they want. That it was somewhat more clear to us that there are things you need and there are things you want and those aren't necessarily the same thing. There was a dividing line there where like, no, I gotta take care of the stuff I need. And if there's leftover and God allows, there's some stuff I want that maybe we can add to that, but there's a, there's a, a, a difference. And in our culture, that line, that clarity between need and want has, begun to, has been being erased. Where things that I want, now I'm told or I believe they're in the category of need. Me wanting it means I need it. So that first change was the blurring of that line between want and need, where now anything I want is now in the category of need. And now the narrative seems to be changing again, where all needs and wants are now things that I deserve. Have any of you noticed, does anyone watch YouTube in here? Anything on YouTube? None of you do, right? I'm the only loser that wastes my time on YouTube, right? So. You know the ads that come up uh, before, you know, if you don't have YouTube premium, you know, you got five seconds to waste. So those ads come up and I'll be checking my email while I'm waiting to do skip now, you know, type of a thing. But you know what I keep hearing over and over again when those ads are coming up? It talks about something you can buy and, and the verbiage is get what you deserve. I, it actually stood out to me before I was ever even studying for this message. It, it, it was just, wow, they're talking a lot in terms of what I deserve, what I'm entitled to. So that new truck or that house or that new gadget, whatever it is, it's like, it's not just like something you might want to spend your money on. It's like, you want it and it would be wrong to deny yourself this, this thing you deserve. That's kind of in the water these days. I don't know if you've noticed it, but I have. So now, that narrative is changing again where all my needs and wants are things I now deserve. So now what has turned into a need has now turned into an entitlement. A want that turned into a need that now has turned into an entitlement. Many of us can't see the difference between something we want and something we deserve. Now, I'm not just saying that to be critical of our culture, these things happen. Culture declines and the way we think changes and you know that might change again, but this is concerning to me on many levels, but one of the most concerning things for myself and my family and for us as a family 
is that this change from my wants turning into things I deserve, it's diminishing our capacity for joy. It's diminishing our capacity for joy. Because if everything I want is something I deserve, then now it's due to me, and I don't feel deep gratitude for what is owed me. And if I can't feel deep gratitude, I can't feel deep joy. If I can't feel gratitude, I can't feel satisfaction. So this shift that's happening in our minds and in our cultures from what I want now becoming something I deserve, it is diminishing my ability to be satisfied with life because I don't see all the amazing blessings God is giving me. I just look at it as stuff that should come to me. And I'm not grateful. And if I'm not grateful, I can't feel satisfied and I can't feel joy. That's a... That, that's something to be concerned about for us. See, human beings have a satisfaction crisis. We always have. This isn't new. Nothing's new under the sun, right? It's not just like, oh, finally today in 2023, human beings have a satisfaction crisis. This has always been the case. I do think it's becoming a little more pronounced maybe. But the solution I want to suggest to you may sound surprising at first take. It may seem antithetical to what I should be saying, but please, please hear me out. Here's the solution I want to suggest to you. That the answer to this satisfaction problem is not wanting less. The answer to this problem is wanting more. If we want to solve our problem with satisfaction, the answer is not to want less. It's to want more. More specifically, it's to want better. Some of you right now at this point are wondering, wait a minute, is Travis going to be preaching that prosperity gospel nonsense I hear on TV? <laughs> Thank you. You know me. You know me better. That, that gospel, that false gospel that says, if you have enough faith, then ask God for more stuff you want and he'll give you wealth beyond your wildest dreams and you'll finally be happy because God will open the floodgates because you sent in $20 and now he's going to multiply that tenfold. And you can you know, send in $50 and buy this chunk of the original cross and you put it under your pillow at night and you pray and God will give you. Is that where I'm going with this? Saying you need to want more? No, I'm actually telling you the exact opposite of that false gospel. I assure you, I'll never preach that silliness to you. I do want to preach you the opposite, though. We have been sold a lie that the best we can hope for is immediate gratification, that I want it now, so I need to get it now, and that is the best thing I can hope for. That is a lie we're believing. And if you live in America you believe it in some way, shape, or form. Please don't think you're too spiritual or so advanced in your relationship with the Lord that you are immune to this kind of thinking. We all have to face this. We think that the best we can hope for is immediate gratification. What we can experience and acquire in this age before Jesus returns is somehow better to us than what we will receive in the age to come. We've all bought into that lie a little bit. And I'm just entreating you and inviting you as my family that we would have much higher standards than amassing what moth and rust destroy. That we'd want more than moth and rust, what they can destroy, what thieves could break in and steal. God wants you to be satisfied, but not with the stuff we're trying to satisfy ourselves with right now. 
that we would never be satisfied until we lay hold of what will abundantly, deeply, and comprehensively satisfy us for eternity upon eternity upon eternity. King Jesus. And the mission he's called us into that has eternal impact. I beg you to come with me to together walk down this road of receiving true satisfaction that only comes in Jesus and in being part of the mission he's doing in this world. Open up your Bibles to John 6, 25. John 6, verse 25. So the context of this passage is this. The day before this passage, Jesus has just miraculously fed a huge crowd. It says there are 5,000 men that were counted, and so it probably means some of their families as well. So some people estimating between 15 and 20,000 people were actually there. Don't know exactly. But Jesus feeds this entire crowd. He sees that they're hungry. He sees it, but they're coming to hear him preach. And so they didn't bring any food. They don't have any way to go get food. And Jesus sees their physical need, their material need, and says to his disciples, guys, we have to take care of this. They're hungry. We need to take care of this physical need they have. Without being provoked, Jesus sees it and he takes care of it. Miraculously feeding, using only five loaves of bread and two fish, he, he, he multiplies it and distributes it and everyone had their full fill. Now the next day after this, Jesus is in a different location and, and the part of the crowd that stayed overnight in that place that Jesus had fed them, they stayed overnight there and then Jesus is gone. So they track him down and find him on the other side of the lake. So this is now the day after the miraculous feeding. And it says this in John 6, 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, that means teacher, when did you come here? Now Jesus sees beyond the question they're asking and kind of sees what they're actually aiming for. 26, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are not seeking me, not because you, oh, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, perishing food. What's another word for perishing? Dying, death. Don't work for death food. And this is food he gave them, food that perishes though. But for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, that's Jesus's title, favorite title for himself, the Son of Man, Jesus, will give to you. For on him, Jesus, God the Father, has set his seal then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Great question. Jesus answers them. He says, this is the work of God that you, what? Believe in him who he has sent. Eternal bread. Do the work of God. What is that eternal bread work of God? Believing in Jesus, the one whom he has sent. So they said to him, <laughs> then what sign do you do? that we may see and believe you. He's like, do you remember yesterday? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. They're still going after bread, guys. He's like, I've got eternal bread. And they're like, well, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. This is bread that came down from heaven. And they were, can you do that again? They even quote scripture. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. <laughs> and Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it, is, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. 
For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Who's Jesus speaking about there? Himself. Verse 34. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I want to point out to you a very important point. Jesus did not deny the physical needs of these people as if they were unimportant or beneath them, him, did he? Who was it the day before that noticed they had a need and miraculously gave them their need? It was Jesus. Jesus noticed their physical material need. They're hungry. Let's give them their need. Christians don't believe that material is bad and spiritual is good. That's not what the Christian faith believes. That's Platonic thinking, Plato, where all things that are material are somehow inherently evil and all things that are spiritual are inherently good. No, 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 no. God made us in his image, but he made us physical beings united with a spiritual soul. And that is what we will be in the age to come when Jesus returns and resurrects the dead in Christ. And we, if we're still here when Jesus returns, we'll be caught up to him, but our bodies will be transformed. He will remake this earth and we will have a physical existence, body and spirit united, but now glorified, made perfect the way it was intended to be. And we will have a physical existence on this earth forever. Humanity is the combination of spirit and flesh and we always will be. There will be a small time when we die and go to be with the Lord before his return that our body and our spirit will be separated. But that is not the, the, the way God intends it forever. If you have that perspective of heaven, that we leave the body and go to be a floating spirit in the air somehow without a physical existence forever and ever and ever, that is not what scripture says we will be reunited with our glorified body when Jesus resurrects us on the last day. And so we are material and spirit always. So material is not evil in and of itself. The physical is not evil in and of itself. Jesus did not treat their physical needs as unimportant or beneath him. It was him who noticed their need and gave it to them out of love. But when they came to him the second day, Jesus is not ignoring their physical needs. He's just emphasizing that they have a need that is even greater than the food he gave them. They have a need that is more eternal than the need he met the day before. And if they only ever seek a meal from him, they will completely miss the eternal treasure he has to offer. He's not trying to give them less. He's trying to give them more. It's like when they come hinting, can we get some more bread? He's like, that's fine. But if you knew who you were asking, you would ask for far more than a a hunk of sourdough. You'd ask me for eternal bread, eternal life. If you really understood, that's the same place I think we sit today. We're far too easily satisfied with stuff. And then when we get unsatisfied, we want what? More stuff. And Jesus says, come to me. If you're hungry and dissatisfied, come to me and I will give you more than the stuff you've been seeking to fill that eternal 
place with. He's not trying to give these people less. He's trying to give them more. And here's the thing, my friends, even with the good material blessings that God gives us, there is a danger if we're not careful. Even the good material gifts that God gives us, as good and wonderful as they are, they don't last. They aren't eternal. A good meal is not going to last. You're gonna be hungry again. The house of your dreams is not going to last. You're gonna die and leave it behind. And after a couple weeks of living there, you'll see, oh, it's, it's just a house. A new car, a new job, a new spouse, a new church. It's not eternal. These material, good gifts that God gives, they're not eternal, and yet we have an eternal-sized need for satisfaction built into us because we're made in the image of God. As Andy Daub and I were, were talking this week about Scripture, he said something very profound to me. I'm lucky to be surrounded by some people with some really good wisdom. He said, so many desires we have are good desires, and they can be satisfied, but they are only temporarily satisfied. And this is the, the clincher. Jesus is saying, Andy said, Jesus is saying, if you want eternal satisfaction, you must have an eternal satisfier. Do you want to be eternally satisfied? What satisfies you must also be eternal. Is food eternal? Answer me. Sorry, that sounded like a command. Answer me now. <laughs> Feel free to answer me. <laughs> Is a house eternal? Is a relationship with a spouse eternal? No, it's not. One of you will die. Both of you will die. Are your children gonna be eternally with you in this age? No. It's precisely what Jesus' point in this passage is. He says you are trying to satisfy your eternal needs with temporary provision. And he says, I can change that. Let me show you this conversation Jesus has with these people who came seeking him again. That's awesome they were seeking him again. That's, that's awesome. But let me show you the flow of this conversation kind of in quick time here. So the crowds come to Jesus and they hint that they are back for more bread, or at least that's what they want, and Jesus perceives it. So Jesus' response is, you're coming to me for sourdough. If you knew who I was, you'd ask me for way more. Ask for eternal bread, eternal satisfaction. And the crowd responds, how do we get this bread? And Jesus answers, you get it by believing, trusting, faithing in me. In the original Greek, belief, trust, faith, those are all the same word. How do we get this bread, Jesus? He says, believe and trust in me. And then the crowd says, well, give us a sign. Why should we trust you? And Jesus' answer is basically because God sent me from heaven with this eternal bread. I am the sign. I'm the sign. And the crowd says, well, give us this bread always. And Jesus says, I'm the bread. I'm the bread. So Jesus takes them on a journey he says, first, ask for more. You're too easily satisfied with stuff. And then he says, ask for eternal bread. 
And then he says, only I can give you this bread. And then he says, and actually I myself am the bread that I'm giving you. He says, don't be satisfied with just material blessing alone. What you really are wanting and craving, friends, is me. Me. I'm the one who eternally satisfies. So let's bring this home to us. Let's bring this home to how this makes a difference for us. Let me ask you a question. My loved ones, what do you want for your life? What do you want? Do you want a good job? Do you want great relationships? Do you want a healthy family? Do you want to enjoy some good meals and trips with people you love? Do you want enough money in the bank to pay the bills and maybe save a little and someday retire and have what you need? Do you want really good friends? Do you want to do some really meaningful things with your spare time? Yeah. Anything I just listed there, is any of that bad? Is, you can answer, it's cool. Is any of it sin? Those are all very good things that God gives to the people he loves. There's no sin on that list. Raise your hand if you'd like to sign up for that life I just described. Raise it. The people raising their hands are the honest people. I, I, I want that. I want those things. Is it wrong for me to want those things? I don't think it is. Those are good gifts from God. And it's not sin. And yet, if that's all I want, or the main thing I want, I believe that Jesus would stand in front of us and ask us with mercy in his face, is that all? Is that all you're gonna ask me for? You are capable of receiving way more than that from me. Are you sure you don't wanna ask me for more? Are you sure you don't want to set your sights a little higher than the things that will come and go? In Mark 10, 29 through 30, Jesus says this. He says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, the mission of Jesus, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life, a hundredfold. You give up something now in my name and for my gospel. You sacrifice something of this life for me and my gospel now. I will repay it a hundredfold. A hundredfold. The question isn't, my friends, whether or not sacrificing worldly gain for Jesus will be worth it. It will be. It is. Emphatically, Jesus promised. You give up something for my name to seek me out first in my kingdom. I will return it to you a hundredfold. 
Those are red letters, Jesus' words, Jesus' promise. It is not a question of whether or not sacrificing worldly gain for Jesus will be worth it. It will be worth it. The question isn't whether or not Jesus satisfies. He does. Comprehensively, in all ways, Jesus satisfies. He promises a hundredfold reward for what I sacrifice in this life to seek him. It's not a question of whether it will be worth it. It's not a question of whether Jesus satisfies. The question is, my brothers and sisters, is do I want immediate satisfaction for a short time or ultimate satisfaction forever? That's the question. And you may say, well, that's an easy answer. Of course I want ultimate satisfaction forever. Do I though? How much do I love the things of this world in this age compared to the stuff that lasts in the age to come? Maybe the real question is, do I love my life in this present age before Jesus' return more than my life in the age to come? You do realize that as a Christian, your existence will be minute amount of time here before Jesus returns compared to the amount of time you will be living face to face with the King of glory forever and ever and ever and ever. This chapter of your life is the shortest chapter there is. So do I love my life in the present age so that I'm going to invest all that I've got in this present age, or do I love my life in that day, the age to come more? These are questions we gotta wrestle with, my friends, because it will change how we live the life in this age, in this day. It will change the amount of joy and satisfaction we have in this day, not just the age to come. Jesus said he blesses us a hundredfold, not just in the age to come, but in this age as well. With the same stuff we chase after all the time? Probably not. But a hundredfold nonetheless. So let's get super practical with this. What are the things we must do to have satisfaction in Jesus both now and in the age to come? I wanna give you three things this is not comprehensive, but are the three things that are most clearly laid on my heart this week. And these three things sum up into one word, surrender. Surrender. Do I believe that what God has for me and wants for me and will give me is better than what my plan for giving to myself and gaining for myself is? Am I surrendered to my will or to, to his? So here's the three things. The first one is this, faith in trial. Faith in trial. When Jesus told the people to seek eternal bread and they asked, how do we seek this eternal bread? His answer was, you believe, you have trust, you have faith in the one who God sent, Jesus. In other words, faith is the plate that eternal food Jesus is served on. Faith is the plate that eternal food Jesus himself is served on. I wanna tell you this, and I want you to lean in, and I want you to try to receive this in faith. My friends, the things in life that require faith in Jesus to walk through are not God's attempt to take from you. It's God's attempt to feed you. Jesus said that faith in him is the eternal bread. 
He's the eternal bread, but faith in him is that connection to the eternal bread. When life requires faith, God is feeding me. God is giving me a meal. When you trust in Jesus as your savior, and when you then persevere in that trust through the deep and dark valleys and chapters of your life, and when you see him be faithful to provide for you when you saw no way out, that's the most exquisite meal you will ever have. Have you ever had to follow Jesus through a very dark season? A very disheartening season. A very scary season. But somehow he gave you the strength to trust him and say, I don't know how this is gonna turn out. And I don't know how he's gonna take care of me, but I trust that he will. And then he does. He brings you through it and you see his faithfulness, his love, his mercy to you in and through the hardship. That is an exquisite meal. That is an experience that only people of faith in Jesus can experience. Faith through trials is God trying to feed your soul. The second thing, gratitude in blessing. Gratitude in blessing. My friends, I want, I want us to let the good in this age, the good gifts that God gives us, the good material things, the good relationships, the good experiences that are a gift from God. You know what James says? James says, all good gifts are from the Father of lights. If you are receiving something good, it is from God, material or spiritual. But the material good blessings that God gives you in this age let those things point you to the excellencies of our inheritance in the age to come. It's just a sample. It's just a sample. When you go to Costco, and they got the people giving the samples, right? And you try it. Do you eat one sample? And you're just like, that's fine. I'm going now. I'm leaving. I don't need to be here at Costco anymore. Why do they give you the sample? Because there's a box bigger than you are in the freezer section that that sample is supposed to point you towards say, I could have more of that, I could have it all. That's why they give you a sample. Do you realize that the material good blessings that God gives you in this life are not the thing? They're a sample of the blessing in the age to come, the wedding feast of the lamb, where we will feast forever in the presence of God and together, and we will be filled. The good gifts now are samples of the inheritance we will receive then and are beginning to receive now. Every time you eat an amazing meal, every time you feel the blessing of a conversation with a good friend, the joy of have, you have in laughing at an awesome joke <laughs> or in being awestruck by the beauty of God in nature, thank God for it because that thing is good and it is a gift. Thank him for it, have gratitude for the thing. It is a good gift from God, but don't discount it because it isn't obviously spiritual. A good meal, sometimes he's like, what, what's spiritual about that? Doesn't matter. It's a good gift from God. Thank him for it. Have gratitude, but go further. Go one step further. Thank God in that moment that you had that delicious meal or that time with friends or that beautiful landscape you saw. 
Thank God that Jesus is truer and better than those things. Truer and better bread. Truer and better beauty. Truer and better friendship. Let the things God blesses you with lift your eyes past the thing he gave to the giver and have deep, soul-satisfying gratitude. You cannot have joy. You cannot have satisfaction if you do not have gratitude. And the third thing I want to share with you is this. If we want satisfaction and joy now and in the age to come, submit yourself to obedience through it all. Obedience through it all. You say, Travis, I liked the faith thing. I liked the gratitude thing. How in the world is obeying going to bring me satisfaction? I thought that was saying no to myself. When Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman in the book of John, John chapter four, a couple chapters before what we read today, eventually he led her to faith in him and she went and told her whole town about what Jesus had done for her. And his disciples, though, come back while he's having this conversation with the Samaritan woman and, and they were going off getting some food because they were hungry, it was a long trip, and they offer the food to Jesus. They said, Jesus, eat some food. Um, and Jesus' answer is this. He says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And the disciples kind of look at each other like, where did he get food? Did he, is there a drive-through here? Like, what, how, is Jesus full already? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. My food, Jesus says, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus says, I feel satisfied. I feel full when I accomplish the mission that Jesus, or that God, my father, has given me. That's a meal to me. To join the Father in what he's doing on this earth is a satisfying meal to me. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. If you have trusted Jesus, God has transformed your inner being. Whether you know it or not, you now have an insatiable hunger to make disciples, to do the work that God sent Jesus here for. Jesus said, I come to seek and save the lost. And because you now have a transformed inner person, transformed soul, your DNA has changed and now you are hungry to do the work that Jesus was hungry to do. You're being transformed and your DNA is becoming like Jesus who said, my food is to accomplish the mission of God on earth. There is something in you that will never be satisfied unless you are joining Jesus in his mission to make disciples and to teach them to obey everything Jesus has commanded. Whether you know it or not, you have an insatiable desire to be part of that because the Holy Spirit lives in you if you've trusted Jesus. And if the Holy Spirit lives in you, you're gonna want what he wants and crave what he craves. So many Christians live with this ache inside or this sense of dissatisfaction. It's like, I know Jesus has saved me. I know he is good. I know he's worth it, but I'm still... It, there's got to be more than what I'm experiencing right now. You know people all around you who know the Lord, genuinely love Jesus, but who have this sense of dissatisfaction, and you know yourself. 
Don't you have that sense of dissatisfaction sometimes? Don't you have that sense of, even though I know Jesus, there's got to be more than what's happening in my life right now. There's got to be more. But when we attempt to fill those things, this eternal hunger to be about Jesus and the work he's doing, we try to fill it with food that perishes, death food. Not bad food. Jesus says, I can give you that bread, that material thing every day of your life for the rest of your life. You're still gonna be hungry again. You're still gonna die. What is the food that fills? We always think when I'm unhappy or I'm dissatisfied, we think I need a new job, I need a new house, I need a new hobby, I need a new spouse, I need a new church, and on and on and on. No, you're just probably starving to make disciples. You're starving to do the work of God that he's planted in you through the Holy Spirit. I think many of us are experiencing what we may call the great Christian famine. Enjoying the blessings of salvation, but starving from lack of work. Starving from lack of joining Jesus joyfully in the mission he has in this world that all people would hear his gospel and have the opportunity to trust him. For me, I just want to be honest, this current season of my life for the last handful of years has been harder than any other part of my life. It's the hardest season I've ever walked through. There's been more hardship, more concern, more responsibility, more impossible decisions. You know what I'm talking about more pain from people and their decisions, more pain from me and my decisions, more busyness, more bills to pay. I have teenagers. And I wanna tell you with all sincerity that I'm happier than I've ever been. I am happier and more joyful and more at peace than I've ever been. Not perfectly, not every day, but in In the average, I'm happier than I've ever been. And here's what I think the difference is. I'm spending more time with Jesus than I ever have. I'm having a meal every day, several, of spending time with him and having intimate closeness with him. And I'm spending more time and effort doing the work of disciple making than I ever have, both with those who don't know Jesus and those who do you do realize realize that making disciples, when we talk about that here, we're not talking just about winning people to Christ or just about helping people who are already Christians grow. It's the whole lifespan. Making disciples starts before anyone ever knows Jesus. And we draw them, we let the Lord use us to draw them into relationship with him. You've made a disciple. And then you continue to teach them to obey everything Jesus has commanded. You're still discipling. You're still making disciples. It's the whole thing. Not just winning, not just training. It's the whole thing. God has drawn my heart into a deeper desire and willingness to sacrifice, obey, to do the things it takes to make disciples and teach them everything that Jesus has commanded. I'm not doing it perfectly. And I know that it's really just like I'm on JV right now compared to what God wants to bring me to. I've realized that for a couple decades, I was doing a lot of Jesus adjacent things like Matt talked about that were good things, not bad things. 
But a Christian who isn't intimate with Jesus to a point that it translates into making disciples is experiencing Christian starvation. I was starving to do the work of God and I didn't know it. I was starving to do the mission of Jesus, making disciples. And now that he's gotten my attention and I'm beginning to do better, I'm more satisfied and happier than I've ever been because I'm being filled with eternal food. For those of us who trust Jesus and have his spirit living inside of us, when God allows you to have this experience of obedience and joining him in his mission, imagine Da Vinci, if you could go back in time, the master painter painting the Last Supper. Did Da Vinci do that one? I have no idea. <laughs> but let's just say Da Vinci did that Last Supper. <laughs> and you're watching him do this masterful work of art. And then he looks to you and he says, do you want to put a couple brush strokes on there? Yes and no. I don't want to mess it up. And he says, no, no, just, just do this here. A little bit of red there, a little bit of green there. He's the master artist, but he's invited me to be part of this painting that will be celebrated for eternity. Maybe not that painting for eternity, but the picture I've, that he painted of Jesus and his disciples, that, that I could put a couple brush strokes on that. Jesus said, I come to this world to seek and save the lost. And he says, Travis, do you want to put a couple brush strokes on this beautiful thing I'm doing? Yes. 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 It's the greatest thing. God teaches. The greatest meal we will ever have is intimacy with you and joining you in the masterpiece you're making. Teach us. So this week, my friends, I wanna invite you to join me and our family in Christ across the world in giving ourselves to these three things. Faith in trial, Jesus, is not trying to take from you. He's trying to feed you when you have to have faith and you have to trust him through the hard stuff. Number two, gratitude and blessing. Be grateful for the gifts God gives, but look beyond them to the giver and experience him through them. And number three, obedience through it all. Friends, let's feast on the work of disciple-making Jesus invites us into. Let's put some brushstrokes on the masterwork he's creating. And if you don't know where to start with this, you're like, Travis, I have a burning desire in my heart to do these things. I don't know where to start. I wanna promise you that anyone on the shepherding team of this church would be more than happy to meet with you and help get you started. We're not experts, we'll walk with you, we'll learn with you, but you have the absolute access to anyone on this team. I had someone last service come up to me when I was standing back there in the time of worship after the message. They just said, I need to talk to someone about getting some more joy. Can I meet with you? And I said, yes. I have no idea if I have time to. I'm gonna make time. 
That's what we're here for. And not just the shepherding team. Look around you. This is the family of God. If you don't know where to get started, just walk up to someone you know and say, can you help me get started? Can we do this together? We're all shepherds here. We all take care of each other here. We all are priests in the line of work that God has been doing for ages and ages and ages. You can call us, you can email us. Our emails are on the web. You can get to us through the website. You can text, you can, you know, homing pigeon, you, whatever. Get a hold of someone and don't, if you have a fire in your heart to get started on something new, something that God is drawing you into, next steps with this, we're here for you. We are open and there's no joy we have in ministry more than walking us alongside other brothers and sisters in Christ and figuring this out together. Amen? Let's walk together and let's figure this out together. I wanna invite the band up, I wanna pray and we're just gonna respond with some worship because he's worthy, amen? Father in heaven, you are the definition of satisfaction. We were made by you and made to be fueled in you. Would you teach us what true satisfaction means when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Father, that, teach us what that means. I, we're just getting started to figure that out. Teach us what it means to teach us to obey you into experiencing what that means in faith, in gratitude, and in obedience. Jesus, we lift you high. We invite you to change us and encourage us. Father, I pray that not one person would leave this room discouraged this morning, but each one of us would have a new fire, a new desire, a new fuel to run with you and let you care for us and carry us into those meals, that meal in you that fills us forever. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.